You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Good morning and welcome back to Counterculture. You are with Marie here on Reality Check Radio. Joining me this morning is Walt Heyer, author, activist and speaker and somebody with a very interesting journey, which I can't wait to have shared. Good morning, Walt. How are you? Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Look, you have a very interesting journey, particularly a gender journey. Can you share that with us this morning? Yeah, I mean, my um, gender distress, if you want to call it that, identity distress started when I was four years old, <clears throat> when my grandmother made me a purple chiffon dress. And um, I had shown an interest in, in, she was a seamstress, so I showed an interest in women's clothing. So she just promptly, at uh, four years old, made me a purple dress, put me in it, it was fit, fit me perfectly. And she told me how cute I looked. So that began the... Um, uh, gender affirming thing, which when looking back on it, I see it quite differently because I'm 82 years old. So 78 years ago, I see it today as child abuse. Yours went beyond that, though, didn't it? I mean, you actually then entered into not only diagnosis, but full transition. Yeah, I mean, included surgery and hormones. And, and yeah, that came uh, when I was 42 years old. So 38 that right, 38 years later after the purple dress. But <clears throat> it came a long time after because no one was discussing the words and, and you know, there were no words to attach to these things. I've learned a lot, really, not so much from my own story, but actually from working with thousands of people who've contacted me on my website, sexchangeregret.com. And so um, whatever I'm speaking to today really is kind of a culmination of working with a lot of people. So I'm really speaking not just from my own experience, but the echo comes from many of the people that I've spoken with. So to me, it's very troubling. And I, you know, I, I understand that there are cultures who accept and embrace this. Um, but I think there's <clears throat> there's some a real need to take a little uh, deeper respect for what we're doing to children in terms of uh, cross-dressing them and so forth. Mm. Yeah, we're certainly seeing an alarming trend, especially amongst schools now, where social affirmation and social transition is not only accepted but encouraged. And the thing for me as a parent is all of this is genuinely and usually done without parental consent. Are you seeing that in the United States? Yeah, I am. And I, you know, I stopped using the word transition and I stopped using the word transgender. Uh, because uh, the the fact of the matter is one of the things we don't spend a lot of time talking about is so far, no one in world history has ever changed their gender. You, it's not possible to do with hormones and surgery. Uh, women, uh, you sitting across from me are quite different from me. Um, your bone structure is different. Everything about you is different. I cannot become you no matter what I want to do. I, you know, they can do all the surgery and hormones they want. <clears throat> I can never become you. So um, it's in it, the culture thing aside, uh, what we're dealing with today is kind of a, an idea that has been planted in society that people can change their gender. It's just ch total nonsense. Mm. And, and that's the part that's most disturbing to me because and, and I, I say cross-dressing me by my grandmother uh, was abuse. But let me explain what kind of abuse it is, because abuse is kind of a funny word. But it's emotional 
and psychological abuse. It's it's a different kind of abuse. You're you're telling somebody something that's just not possible to do that you can become someone else or that you need to be. And uh, the fact that she never said how handsome I was as a boy or how strong I you know so she was I I call it the the process is actually devaluing the person when you begin to cross-dress them then you dehumanize them by giving them a different name and start putting hormones in them and then you totally destroy them uh, when you cut off body parts and so the only thing that you can do and that's why I stopped using the language the only thing you can do is feminize a man or masculinize a woman you cannot change their gender that it, it's it's fixed and innate from the time of conception. In fact, they had a, a study a long time ago, and it was kind of interesting. They asked people in the science community about gender, where when does your when does this start? And they all said it at conception. But they put them in a situation where it was about the LGBT and the ideology, and they all said, Well, it, it happens, it's assigned at birth. You know, they couldn't, they, you know, they started buying the language. We know that it's fixed and innate at the time of conception. It's just, you know, this this is the part that probably rubs me the most in terms of uh, we're, we're, we're acting like we don't know what's going on out there. We're saying, oh, you're a transgender, you transition. When people write me, uh, I always tell them, I said, you know, you're not a, transition, a transgender, you've never transitioned. And the fact of the matter is, I haven't found the first case of gender dysphoria in the thousands of people I've worked with. Because mm, mm. your your site is called Gender Regret. Talk me through regret and your yeah, experience. Yeah, well, re- regret. Um, it, it, you know, it, it's it happens to thousands of people. In fact, there's a r slash d trans Reddit site that has fifty thousand people that regret it. So um, I was just early on in the regret because they hadn't done many. Now, the more they do, the more people regret it. It just kind of goes with the territory. Uh, regret means somebody lied to me and and misrepresented what they were doing. Uh, they're not helping me. But what I've found is the most interesting thing I found is that there are three primary things that cause people uh, or become the driving force behind people wanting to identify as a transgender person. <clears throat> the first one is is what I refer to as a social contagion. And if the people in the audience or you or anybody want to look up what a social contagion is, that's really very interesting. It's not just some flashy word. Social contagion means that one person sees another person. In the old days, they called it monkey see, monkey do, but that's that's a little hard to use. But um, social contagion, people just do what other people do. And so I've had Kids in high school tell me they are afraid to not identify as a transgender because they will be ostracized from their friends. Mm -hmm. So there's a great deal of pressure. Then the second one is um, the online stuff, TikTok, anime, uh, pornography that kids have access to. TikTok has destroyed many lives. I mean, the Internet has got a lot of good features, but TikTok and anime and pornography is not one of them. And so I've had people write me. Uh, one young man, uh, he went through the surgery at 18 and contacted me at 19 and said he feels like a Frankenstein monster. I don't know why they did this to me. I said, well, you went and signed up. Why did you sign up for it? 
And he said, when I was 15, I became addicted to pornography. So it messed up his idea of what his identity was. And so, but it, but again, it doesn't have anything to do with gender. This is, this has to do with everything else, but gender, as I mentioned, social contagion, that's not about a gender. Um, the internet is really not, you're not struggling with your gender. It's about your identity. And then the, the third and probably most important one that I, I've <clears throat> really been able to help people with once they understand it is called adverse childhood experience. They're called ACEs. This is not some, some new buzzword. It's been around for years. Universities and, and hospitals have studied it for years. There are 10 basic core ACEs. And if you happen to have one of these uh, traumatizing, 10 traumatizing events occur to you, then you're going to either end up like incarcerated, you're going to end up being an alcoholic, you're going to end up cutting yourself, you can end up identifying as a transgender. So what happened to me was I was sexually abused by my uncle. I was physically abused by my mom and my dad. All those are adverse childhood experiences. The cross-dressing is another one. So out of the 10 adverse childhood experiences, I had about five or six of them. And so, but what didn't happen was no one provided adequate therapeutic uh, treatment. They just, you know, going along, everybody said, well, just take hormones and surgery. No, you don't need them. You, you, need, you need a trauma therapist to deal with the trauma you suffered because you're not going to ever change your gender. So this is what regret ends up being when the people come back to me and we discover that they had some addiction to pornography or it was a social issue or they suffered some traumatic event during their childhood, we get them the proper therapy that they need for any one of those, whether it's an addiction, they can do, deal with the addiction. And these therapies, then what they report back is once I get the proper therapy, this, this whole thing becomes like, why did I do this? How come people don't guide people toward good therapy choices instead of just telling them hormones and surgery? Uh, you know, I've been doing this. I do it for free. I've been doing it for free. I, the, the, the hospitals and stuff are making tons of money. The people mm -hmm. who do the surgeries are making over a million dollars a year. I'm here for free to try to pick up the pieces that they cut off. Mm -hmm. So um, it, it's pretty horrific to be telling a generation of children you can change genders when you can't. And it's pretty sad case when we're unwilling to sit down with a child and say, why don't you like who you are? And yeah. when I ask that question of a child, it's amazing what happens. They say, well, you know, my dad's an alcoholic or my dad's in jail or my mom died in a car accident or my dad died in a plane accident. There's all these events that encircled their early life. They had no way to, to cope. Mm. And so the idea of becoming someone else and escaping into this alternate identity, we call it a dissociative disorder. That's the clinical term is dissociation. We don't want, they do it. People who are in prison do this to survive. And so we have young children that have been harmed in many different ways or addiction. And, and they use this, they choose this as a way to survive until somebody like me comes along and helps them identify what happened and guides them out of this morass of nonsense and helps them understand that, uh, you know, they're perfect the way they are. They don't need body parts cut off. Uh, they don't need hormones put in them. Um, and they're beautiful. Mm. So therapy, 
I know a number of these children, as you say, experience these ACE adverse child experiences. They potentially get to therapy, but then you have, for a lack of a better term, an activist therapist who yeah, decide well, I, how, what's yeah. the prevalence of that? Yeah. Well, I when, anytime I talk about therapy, I always tell them, look up the therapist's name, look on their website, and if they're a gender-affirming therapist, run the other way, don't go there. Mm. So uh, never never go to a gender-affirming therapist. They only have one agenda, and it's not to help you. Sad no. to say that all they're trying to do is, you know, put another notch in their gun and say, you know, I, I help somebody transition. No. So there's a, there is a lot of therapists... Uh, if you keep digging, um, many of them are underground, to be honest with you. You got to keep digging. But you, you can a lot of clues come from their website and social media posts. And you can kind of tell where they're coming from. And if they're not sort of supporting the rainbow and all that sort of stuff, you got a pretty good chance of finding a good one. I always suggest that people find a good trauma therapist and uh, they don't have to be a, a Christian therapist. There's a lot of non-Christian therapists that are quite sound in their thinking, but there are some very good Christian therapists that are also excellent at what they do. So, um, I, you know, and there's actually a few Christian therapists that are lousy, and mm. and I and I point them out when that comes up. So just because they have Christian by their name doesn't mean that they're good and healthy and sound people to go mm. to either. Well, let's. I want to talk and look at some of the misconceptions around this, and there's a few, and you've actually just alluded to one. And one is that if you were on the pro-trans side of the fence, they would have you believe that if you're dealing with anybody with faith, that they're going to try and put you in some form of conversion therapy and essentially pray away the gay. Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. what do you say to that? Yeah, this is, this is so easy. This is like, you know, T-ball? That little mm-hmm. game where they put, this is so easy. The only people engaged in conversion therapy are the gender clinics. Because the people like myself and the therapist are only trying to keep the people held together. We're not con- trying to convert anybody. You, you know, know something else? 95% of the thousands of people that have contacted me are heterosexual people. They mm-hmm. don't deal with homosexuality. They don't have same-sex attraction. Now, some of the men will cross-dress and they'll go, I'm a lesbian, okay, which is pretty nonsense. (laughs) But there's a term for it. And if you hear a man say that, you can quickly say, you're not a lesbian, you're suffering from autogynephilia or transvestic fetish disorder. And I challenge every one of them. Um, So when we start using the proper terminology and move away from the LGBT nonsense, transgender, transition, all this other junk, actually, um, you'll find out that people are very receptive. This is really why I'm so successful. I mean, I've been, you know, I was in, as you well know, I was in New Zealand not long ago. And from New Zealand, I was Spain. And then I just got back from Poland and the Czech Republic. And actually got my picture on the front page of one of the big newspapers in the Czech Republic um, because of me speaking out and talking just like we are today. Um, and the person who wrote the article is not a Christian. He, he he just was flabbergasted by what he learned and what different perspective you can take on this. And and he's he's kind of thinking 
people need to stop and step back a little bit before we start cutting people's genitals off and filling them full of hormones and take a look at what's really going on. We call them comorbid disorders, um, the underlying reasons why people don't want to be who they are. Mm. So we've tackled that misconception. The other one that I get confronted with all the time is from those saying, if they do not allow this child to transition, they will be at a greater risk of detrimental mental health outcomes, including suicide. What do you say to that? Yeah, well, there's research. Yeah, let's forget what I say. Research, uh, and the best research has been done by Sweden, who uh, tracks every single person because they pay for it all. And Sweden, not me, reports that people who go through the hormones and surgery have a 19 times greater risk of committing suicide than if they don't. And they have a higher ratio of mental health issues if they take hormones and surgery. So most everything that I have found that they report being um, to help people actually is harmful to people. And we need to flip their script. It's just like conversion therapy. Come on, give me a break. We don't convert anybody. We're trying to keep them the way they are. They're not homosexual. They're not transgender. They're not bisexual. They're not any of these things. They're things that they saw on the internet and if you sit down with them and find out that they were sexually abused like I was, you know, they got confused. I've, I've had actually kids tell me but they became adults, but they were abused as a kid. Say they wanted to remove their genitalia, not because they wanted to be women. Listen to this, because they didn't want anybody to touch them in their genitals again. So if I mm -hmm. took them off, then they won't then people won't touch me. It became mm -hmm. a way to protect myself. So. Uh, we, we would be so much better off if we totally dismissed everything that the LGBT says, because mm. it's uh, it's poppycock. What's a good word in, in no, New Zealand? No, poppycock, poppycock is just fine. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, I, I've got a couple others, but um, that'll work. Yeah, I think if you hear, hear what they have to say and you realize that uh, the suicides with uh, this surgery have been reported since 1979. Increased rates of suicide. The, the first gender clinic in New York, the Harry Benjamin Gender Clinic, uh, one of the people at the clinic who worked there for six years administering hormone therapy to people who've gone through this, um, came out and said, I'm going to become a, he's, he was an endocrinologist. He said, I'm going to be a psychiatrist because the hormones and surgery are causing far too much, this is a quote, far too much unhappiness and too many suicides. Dateline, 1979. This has been going on since 79. You know, they try on the left, right, wherever they are trying to push this agenda, will try to erase. I've had studies that I've read 10 years ago, you can't even find, that would show how absurd hormones and surgery are. But they're pretty clever about making sure things disappear. They'd like me to disappear. None of it's true. Uh, the harms are great. We're really in a battle to save this generation of children from total nonsense. So who seeks to benefit? What is the driver of this, especially now? Because it seems to be at a crescendo. What is the motivating factor for those behind all of this? <clears throat> well, the motivating thing is the pharmaceutical companies, every time a child gets on hormone blockers, 
depending on the company, depending on where it's located in the world, will will benefit one hundred to three hundred thousand dollars in income per child because of the therapies. Yeah. Now, when I prevent people from going through it, I get zero. Right? They make money. I don't. I'm not here for the money. I'm here to save lives. And so the driving factor for the pharmaceutical companies and the surgeon, we have a surgeon in California makes one million three hundred and some thousand dollars a year. It's a man identifying as a woman cutting off genitals. So follow the money. We've always said follow the money. And I've actually had people that this individual did surgery on that contacted me with regret. I contacted Marcy Bowers is who it is. And I called Marcy. I said, you know, Marcy, I've got one of your clients here regrets it. And her response, his response um, was, it's his own fault. He wanted me to do it. And if they want it, if they want to do it, I'll do it. I mean, I also look at that and I think where is informed consent? Because I mean, inf- the foundation of informed consent is that the patient has to be fully versed of all outcomes. And I wonder with doctors like that, and from the stories I've heard, whether it be from therapy to medical intervention to surgical intervention, the whole concept of informed consent was scant at best and absent at worst. What have you noted with your... Yes, there there is no such thing. You know, in fact, I just got back from the Czech Republic. There, you have to sign a document saying that you cannot regret this. It actually states that you cannot regret this. Don't come back to me if you regret it, because we weren't, we're not going to do anything. And I, I, there's, there's a young man there. He's going through this. Uh, he had the surgery like a year and a half ago, and he regrets it. And they, they refuse to help him detransition. So we're getting lawyers involved, and, and we're going to get him the help, but it's probably not going to be from the institution that did the harm. It's pretty hideous, isn't it? When you when you boil it all down and you look at the number of people that we we can't even begin to talk to the people who've committed suicide about what happened to them. But that statistic has been relevant since 1979. And even in a, a UK Guardian, which is a pretty left-wing rag, right? The UK Guardian came out in, in July of 2004 it says sex change surgeries are ineffective, say researchers. The third paragraph down, it says people who go through this procedure years later are traumatized to the point of committing suicide. Even in the UK Guardian, they were reporting suicide after you go through this. So this whole is it's, it's nonsense. I mean, Chloe Cole, who's been going around the United States, been on television and all that, said that uh, they the clinic gave her male hormones because they they sat down with her and her mom and dad and they told the mom and dad she is going to commit suicide if you don't let her have male hormones and she will tell you that she almost committed suicide because she had the male hormones I've had a parent, I interviewed a parent here very recently. She had a harrowing story of both the school counsellor and the doctors using suicide as a lever to have the mother take her to the doctor to actually start this process off. Was her daughter actually suicidal? No. Of course not. They used that emotional lever. I mean, that to me is abuse towards the parent, emotional abuse towards the parent. No one ever says about that. 
So to that, to those parents, I mean, you're working with a lot of these children and I'm sure that you're coming up with parents who have deep concerns. What are oh. your advice to those parents? What can they do? Well, I, I let them know it's emotional blackmail. And, and then I, re, I, I let them see the stories that I've written because I've written a lot. My books, Paper Genders, Trans Life Survivors are both excellent books because I wrote them, of course. Um, they're bound to be. What, what I want them to know is that, and, and here's what's interesting. I'm glad you asked this. Here's what's in When I talk to the parents and I start asking them about adverse childhood experiences, 100% of the time, the parent can identify an adverse childhood experience. And when they do that, the light bulb goes on and then they realize that's what happened. And I'm, I'm working with a, a young mom right now where um, the the child was a, a victim of a sexual predator. And, and, and mom admitted that she kind of dismissed it because she didn't want to deal with it. Now the daughter's suffering greatly because she didn't get therapy to deal with it. And, and then the daughter felt abandoned by mom because mom didn't see the importance of getting her to therapy. I think once we, we begin to screw our head back on straight and, and stop using their nonsense language, because it is, I, I'm sorry, but we are harming people by using the language and telling kids you can take hormones and have surgery. We're, we're absolutely, dis we're, we're destroying an entire generation of children um, who will, here's, the other thing is, the girls who want to have babies will not be able to have babies. The boys who want to be a father cannot be a father. There's a, there's a whole nother dimension to this where we're denying a generation of children who've taken these radical hormones and surgeries will not be parents. Yeah. But I also look at it as, as a much bigger picture as well. The entire sanctity of the core family has been yeah. eroded and destroyed, whether Absolutely. that be becoming parents, whether that be living in stable relationships, all of it is under attack. And this is just one of the battlegrounds, is it not? Yeah, I, I, I liken it to somebody throwing a hand grenade in the middle of the family because everybody's going to get hurt. Mm. So where can people find you? So you alluded to before your books, but give us, uh, people have listened to this now and thought, oh, I like the cut of that man's jib. Where can we find information on Walt? Yeah, go to sexchangeregret.com and walthire.com. You can see uh, some of my faith-based stuff, but I work with every denomination. Um, I work with every, I work with people who don't even like God, who don't like anybody. I don't care. I'm not. I just I'm here to help people uh, walk through these issues and and better understand them so that they're not harmed needlessly by uh, unnecessary hormones and surgery. And so um, sex change regrets a great one. And I'm here to help. I'm so glad you had me on. Oh, I'm, it's been an utter delight to have you. So thank you very much. I've been talking to Walt Heyer. As he said, waltheyer.com or sexchangeregret.com are the websites to find him. Don't disappear. More great content still here to come on Counterculture with Marie on RCR. You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Yeah. 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 Yeah.